We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Arsenal internet accounts rejoice as their MO10 handle can be retained for another season. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, the Kabakman Twitter, Angie Gunner. Look, that's right. Just change the umlaut to a... Oh, boy, I'm going to get myself in trouble with Norwegians here. What is the strike through the O called? Um, the strike. <clears throat> I mean, it's not, let's face it. And and yeah. belittling the language of, of, of other cultures is not really my bag, uh, although I, I appreciate you being happy to do it, Paul, who will be introduced momentarily. But yes, that's right. If you want to use MO10 as your handle uh, or you have an umlaut over an O in your handle, you can now just get rid of the umlaut and put the slash through the O. And, and I apologize again for not knowing what that's called. I am a little concerned why we are going after a guy born in the 1800s who introduced the concept of the leap of faith into philosophy that doesn't feel like a fit for... Oh, no. No, no, no. No, I'm sorry. That's Soren Kierkegaard. Uh, Martin Odegaard is someone else. I'll have to go back to the drawing board on that one. Don't forget to go to ArsenalEditor.com, put in promo code ArsenalVision, and get 10% off and free shipping because we support Arsenal businesses here. ArsenalEditor.com. Pause on Twitter. Pause my pants. Little pause. Woohoo! This guy is actually the world chess champion. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. And uh, yeah. <laughs> is, there, is there a punchline or is that just a thing? Uh, Magnus Carlsen. Oh, okay. He's the third guy from Norway. To be fair, Kierkegaard and Odegaard is, is a closer one. <laughs> I think I think mine oh, mine worked better. You, you know what? So. We'll fix it in post. Uh, Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And the rare main pot appearance from the man himself, Scott. You can find him on Twitter. Oh, underscore that underscore. Hello, Scott. 
Yeah. In case yeah, anyone's so trying to find him on Twitter. Nordic O slash. Nordic O slash. That's not all the code O two one six for you Windows users. So then we can, you know, be fast at typing it in. O underscore that. It's underscore called crab. a. I've looked it up. It's called a struk. Okay. Mm. It, so, it's strike pronounced Norwegian. Here's the good this news. This is great banter. Great you banter. only have to put up with about 45 minutes of this nonsense because afterwards, <laughs> uh, Jessica Black from Shino's Arsenal podcast is coming on uh, to talk actual football and make actual sense. And I am, I for one am thrilled to have someone on the podcast who will be able to match my level of a rational, uh, cool-headed analysis. So with that having been said, let me explain why I hate the Odegaard transfer. No, I'm kidding. Kidding, because we're, we're just we're just not <laughs> going to do, we do that transfers. stuff. No, we start with all the stuff we don't like. Look, here's all, all we want to do is tell you why we hate everything that made you happy today. I'm kidding. We're going to love this transfer, and we're going to talk Matty Ryan, Matt Ryan as well. We, uh, I think you could argue the single most important thing we've done is reduce our runnerson exposure. The runnerson exposure in our portfolio has now been significantly reduced. Clive, let's let's start with uh, Martin Odegaard though. Um, I, I, look. It is reported as a loan that is 90% done per David Ornstein. Obviously, Fabrizio Romano's been out with stuff on it as well. Uh, It looks like it is going to happen. What is less clear is um, the the loan versus loan with an option to buy. We can certainly get into the distinction between those two. And uh, I mean, look, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to say, if you're getting a good player in, having the option to buy is better than not. But let's set that aside for the time being. What do you think of the player, the role he fills, and the way it sort of changes our outlook for the balance of the season? Yeah, he's, he's a nice player. Um, very much a uh, a through ball 10, a carrying 10. Um, looks quite nice, you know, plays on the right side. Every time that I've watched on, on YouTube, <clears throat> on YouTube, he, I like the way he sort of receives it. I think his first touch cuts back and everything's now at his behest because he's now got people checking back the other way and he can shake and bake and carry inside. But he does it really smartly off his first touch quite efficiently and and then drives and he, and he can find gaps. So I, I quite like him. and He's a bit more like a younger Ozil. He shoots a bit more, a bit more, you know, end product focused than Ozil was. I think he's much more, he turned from assist maybe to the path before the assist. That doesn't cost me about four thousand followers by saying that, but hey, he's what he is. I think he became less passive and um, more passive, sorry. And so, yeah, I think it's nice. But more importantly, I think what, what does it say to people in the outside world? You know, we know about the older players that we brought in that we felt that we've needed to go and get, but now we've got somebody that's that's quite young, the right age, and it sends a message to say that look, we're willing to trust young people to play in these key roles. He's going to rotate with somebody with two other, maybe a 20-year-old and a, a 19-year-old. Now he's got a 20, 22, 23 max. Um, nice, nice age, nice creativity, nice technique. It just sends a message. This is what we're we're on the way. We're doing something. Whether he stays or whether he goes, it's it's a good message, you know. Rather than going out and getting an Isco, for example, which I think would would be a bad message because you're repairing somebody that's had a really high ceiling in the past. You're repairing him as a 28-year-old, say, for example, rather than giving this guy a chance. And he seems to have the right motivations, the right anger, the right place in his career to want to prove something. So why can't we benefit from that? So I think it's a much better move. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited about it for a lot of reasons, and I I can list off some of those in a moment. And and obviously then we can just sort of discuss strategically the option of, of doing this as a loan versus, you know, whether the, whether the option to buy is available. Scott, let me shift over to you just for a second. I don't want you to do Scott Reed's numbers into a microphone because that's boring. 
but That's just okay. in terms of the numbers that you do have access to and looking at like player comps, like some players he comps to, the role he plays according to the data you look at. Like, do you want <clears throat> to sort of give some quantitative context to to the player he's been, particularly, I think, at Real Sociedad last season? Yeah, I mean, because that's where he's played the most minutes at a big five league. I mean, when I looked actually at his time in the Eredivisie, he looks really good. But Eredivisie numbers are, you know, notoriously hard and flattering for attacking players. Was it, so, was it Jensen? Is that the player I'm thinking of who went to Spurs? Who was the player who went to Spurs? I love that I can't think yeah, of his the, name. The, the striker. Yeah, yeah. I, I know you're talking Young, about. Young. Yes. Um, you know. Uh, Eredivisie player who put up big numbers. It seems like the Eredivisie is a great place to just inflate attacking statistics for young players. So I'm glad that we have some uh, some La Liga data. Yeah, so I mean, and one of the things that I actually looked at it, and it's like his numbers look good, um, especially for his age. Um, you know, that last year he was 20 for the season. Um, so when you put that into context, things are good. Um, I, I guess some of the things that when I looked at it, I was a little bit kind of underwhelmed by the actual kind of end product, you know, the, the shots, assists. Um, so those kinds of things. Um, one of the things that when I did look at it a little bit more is that he loves to be on the ball. Um, and that kind of really kind of affects where he's touching the ball a lot more in the middle third than the final third. Um, a lot more of doing the the progressive passes instead of actually being the guy who gets the ball into the box kind of a thing. So I don't know if he's necessarily a direct number 10. He almost seems uh, a tweener where he does a little bit of um, kind of a, the Alex Awobi kind of style. Um, one of the things that, that came up when I did a quick comp on him, and this is very similar. So if you're in the in the uh, the Discord, um, Matt did one as well for the stats bomb. Is that um, Awar actually comes up as a, a really good comp um, for him? Um, and the thing with Awar is that he's a, a midfielder who kind of does attacking things. Um, the one thing that he doesn't necessarily do that Awar does is give you passable defensive numbers. He seems almost allergic to doing defensive duties, but a lot of that could be the role he's asked to play. Um, especially on Sociedad, he might have been, you know, the primary progressor and, you know, had other people kind of doing the other things behind him where he didn't necessarily need to do that. So I think that's the, we're not looking at a, a Mesut Ozil, you know, a guy who's going to go and create, you know, un you know, you know, very good shot creation numbers. You'll do enough of that. Um, one of the other things that when I looked at it, and I know this is something that we, we talked about more later as well, or earlier as well, was that a lot of his stuff comes from uh, being the main dead ball guy. I mean, his, you know, his open play pass creation numbers are good, but they're not elite. So, I mean, I think he's a, he's a really good player. He's a good talent, but, you know, it's a, a three-month loan kind of a thing right now. So it's like, do we want to, yeah. So yeah. Right, well, that's and, kind of the, the quick rundown of the stats. No, I like it. And, and I mean, look, he he's very young. He's at an age, you yeah. know, there are players you get where whatever you're bringing in, you'll be happy if they just repeat the numbers they have, right? Like and you, when you bring in a 28-year-old, a 30-year-old, a 27-year-old, what you're looking for is them to be consistent in the production they've already demonstrated they can provide. When you bring in someone who's 21, is he 22 now, I guess? Um, 21, just gone 21? 22 and 36 days. There you go, all right, just gone 22. You're bringing in a guy who's good and potentially can get better. Now, look, how much better is he going to get over a three- or four-month loan? Different story. I guess... There's a couple of things to unpick here, Paul, and one of them is just how we're going to use him. There's really two possibilities, right? One is to help unburden some of our other young players who look like they're going to be burdened with a lot of minutes down the stretch and become undroppable, namely Smith Rowe, who's had durability concerns in his career, and you don't want to burn him out. 
uh, Saka playing a lot. And, and, you know, sometimes you can take these sort of connective midfielders and, and move them into the wide spaces. I mean, I, uh, Scott mentioned Iwobi. And Iwobi's interesting, right? Because I think Iwobi is the kind of player you'd love to have in a connective midfielder role but you wouldn't love to have as one of your three forwards, right? Because he doesn't provide assists, he doesn't create, he doesn't score goals, but he does connect play well. So connectors can sometimes slide into those forward roles at the expense of maybe some output. I guess the question becomes, do you see him being someone who can play with a Smith Rowe and, and just a Thomas Party protecting them? Um, or do you see this as just more layers of, of protection and, and relief for the young players who are who are very burdened right now? Um, so, yeah, I'd say he's a little bit more protection cover. It might be over-egging the pudding to have two of these lads running around your midfield with Smithrow. He's played a little – I'm like, I don't want to come across as an expert here. I've been busily reading up on the fellow over the last 24 hours, so I'm like everybody else. But anyway, he's played a little bit on the wings, but he's mostly a cam or a, 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 an attacking central, central midfielder. And uh, you could see him and Smithrow as two attacking eights, but – We've never really played that way, and they've never really played for us that way. So, um, you know, if we if uh, we manage to hold on to them a little longer, uh, hold on to this fellow beyond this loan period, but that would be a nice dream. You you could see us re re-engineering how we can play in the summer. Uh, probably won't happen, but would be lovely if it did. So I, I see him as mostly uh, an option. I don't know if it's cover really because he's really really good and I don't think he came to to cover in the few minutes that Smith row isn't available um but but you know he could play and come on instead of Saka on the wing he could start as cam he may be kind of our option as the you know it's terrible thing to even think right now but you know he might be more the starter than Smith row once he settles in um, Smithrow is still young, developing. This guy's really good. Um, so uh, we definitely needed cover, and there should be plenty of uh, uh, enough minutes if they share it around a little bit. It's very mm. exciting. Um, I know one of your concerns is we're not very good at loans. Um, like <clears throat> we don't always seem to get the best out. Hey, of Hey, you and the, I were in the, the Dennis Suarez is, wars, my friend. <laughs> so yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> The good news is we may not be very good at loans, but he is. He's mm. done two really good uh, – reading up on it, it. Like his first one was at uh, an obscure club. I uh, can't even remember. The, uh, hang on. Let me look it up here. Uh, Heron Veen, uh, which apparently was kind of a mixed bag, but he was very young then. But the Vitesse loan, from what I read up on, he was a star there. And Real Sociedad, he just lit them up. Um, and there's lots of great comps uh, well, not really comps, but uh, YouTubes of him versus, you know, notable clubs, Barcelona, Real Madrid, etc., etc., where he kind of lit it up. So uh, it was lovely seeing him with uh, with uh, Nacho Monreal on the pitch running around. That was nice to see. And also, I thought for a while he might have done actually spent some time at Huddersfield with uh, Smith Rowe because they were in the same shirt. But apparently the, I got confused there. Um, so. He's like, he looks really good, and he looks like he's good at loans, and he's ready to play. So this might be the one, Elliot. This might be the one, he, um, you know, 
that that pays off in terms of a loan. Not since Yossi Benayoun, but mm. this could be the one. Yeah, so, and and let's be honest. Look, like the, the, uh, yeah, yeah. That that was it. I was just going to say, <laughs> uh, if pe- people want to understand my role on on this particular pod, uh, Clive's all about the coaching and the tactics. You're about the hot takes and the and the well, perspectives. What? Scott. <laughs> Scott's about the numbers. I'm about the splooging on the new signings. Yeah. And I can tell you, I'm going to splooge on this fella. He's absolutely oh, the business. Definitely cutting that sentence out audio-wise and using that as the teaser uh, audio for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, it might be too aggressive yeah, for, for the podcast title, though. I am going to splooge on this guy is eh, might be might be a bit of a... Might be a bit of a stretch. That's what I do. Yeah. You also push to- toothpaste up the tube. Let's not forget that. Uh, Clive, spare, spare us from this. Please please rescue us. Um, there are two things we want to get into, obviously. The, the strategic part of the, the loan move, which Paul introed, but I don't want to get there yet. I, I want you to expand on what Paul was talking about, if you don't mind, which is just how you see him being used, um, both as an alternative for the options we have now and as a compliment for them. Yeah, I'm looking at it as a complimentary move. I think the young players, I don't worry about. I look at our young players and I think, well, this is, this is quite an exciting group of young players here now, really are. I mean, Odegaard is right up there. I mean, when he first broke onto the scene, I mean, he was the best, you know, and that's why he went to Real Madrid. So I think he's right up there. And again, much we spoke about recently, I, there's a real smart level of football brains that's happening and these young players are at the forefront and have, what they have is a lovely personality to play for the first team and we've seen players come in, aged players come in and not quite have the personality to play for Arsenal and these young players are just absolutely free of any burden and it's just great to see it. we can all see it, that's the most important thing, so I can say this on a podcast mm. but we can all see the freedom by which they play the normalcy within their game. Just there's a pass. I'm playing it there. I'm not finding a reason to turn away from the obvious. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to turn around. Turn. What Saka did against Brighton? To turn his man, ran and ran and ran to the pass of the available goal. We win the game. We've got players that can do that. They're not doing that. They're knocking the ball off. They're dropping it off to fullbacks. They're doing stupid things on the pitch and. And these young players are really showing the right motivation to play. And that's the key thing when I say that. Why are you walking through the door? What are you trying to prove? Mm. And some of the players that we're questioning, we're wondering, why are they walking through the door? What are they here for? Do I trust their motivations? Do I trust their agents' motivations? And once you put that into the mix, it doesn't take long. One bad pass from her after them. Do you know what I mean? Five bad games and you're, you're in trouble. Right, then we start to look at your wages, we start to look at your numbers, then you're really in trouble. This, these younger players, they come in free from those burdens with the right motivations. He's got it all to prove. I think he played almost every game last year for your Sociedad. He's coming to us now. I think he played like two games, ridiculous like that. So he is bursting to play, bursting to show he's got it, bursting to show everybody that he's worth a move. It may be a move to us in the future. We don't know. But um, so I like the way he's walked into the room. There's a loan. I'm not sure if there's going to be an option. We don't quite need to depend what you read. Didn't sound that, like that's a big, be an big to detail, buy. obviously, right? I mean, not one that we can just sort of brush past, but we just don't have the information. Yeah. Again, I, I, I just like the fact of the type of player that he's bringing in. And I think that's a good thing. 
We've spoken for months earlier about the lack of creativity in top end of the pitch, right? We tried to dismiss it. We tried to, well, I tried to dismiss it. <laughs> you know, <wrapped laughs> Never up did, in the back I promise. Three. <laughs> 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 we was wrapped up in the back three. You know, we got we got a couple of fours that are low touch, you know, not really showing for the ball, et cetera. Our centre mids are not really progressing it. We can talk around it. But in the end, we had not enough smart, brainy people moving the football around in the right way, manipulating the football, moving, following their pass, round the corner, all that stuff, which looks really easy when we see it. Now you've got no one who can do that. So I'm excited. The lone bit, it is what it is. But I do think Smith Rowe, I do worry a little bit about. My hand's up in the air. He's doing really, really well. He's got some development to do physically. It's not a critique, it's just who he is at this phase of his life. You know, he just needs to play more regular so his body becomes more robust, so he looks the physical part. He's a boy still in a man's world and he's doing exceptionally well. There's a step to go for him physically to really be an every week player. And I think the clubs recognise that and that's why I think they brought in a complimentary player to make sure that him and Saka don't get ruined by our need to do something at top end of the pitch that our older players are just not quite doing. Yeah, and he might be complimentary in a, a medium long-term way in that he's a left footer, right? And uh, like if we ever did get to playing, if we held on to him long enough and ever did get to playing both of them or, or two attacking eights, that would be very tasty. Not that he prefers the left side of the pitch from what I've seen, but um, gives us some options there with the lefty. Yeah, and look, I would say this as as clearly as I can. Clive and I have made this happen by not jumping on the opportunity to do a scouting video uh, as soon as this rumor came out. And now this may be done before we can jinx it. Well, to be fair, we're doing a podcast about it, so that that could jinx it. But um, we... We do have the opportunity, at least, to do a scouting video once it is done. So we will we will definitely try to get to that, assuming this gets over the line. And uh, Scott, in terms of the loan approach, I mean, look, as a club, you can never come out and say our season is dead. We have nothing to play for. You look at the numbers so you know realistically the percentage chances what they are. Like Champions League, not a realistic thing. We're not going to win the title. Top six is maybe still something we can chase, and certainly we should be out there trying to win the Europa League. And, you know, the FA Cup is always a nice thing, but we own it and we win it every season, so yawn. Um, so in terms of, let's say this was a loan without an option to buy. Is there any downside to doing a deal like that at this point? I mean, let's say we really want a Buendia or we really want a Noir. And ironically, I think it is interesting that one of the first comps that comes up with him uh, when you look at like a data comp comparison is Awar, ironically. Uh, but let's say those guys aren't on the table and you say, we'll bring in this guy on a loan now and we envision him having a role for us that will ultimately look very similar to the guy we're going to wind up with long-term in the summer, whoever that winds up being. So you could see there being some consistency of strategy there, but how do, how do you evaluate the upside and downside of loan moves and a loan like this where it's not, you know, it's not, we'll get to the goalkeeper thing. We'll, we'll talk Ryan a little bit where it's not a peripheral player, but a player that could be a, a big piece of the team versus obviously having the option to buy. How do you feel about the loan in general? Well, I mean, I, I think in, in general, loans are low risk, low reward kind of moves because, you know, you don't get if, you know, if a player is amazing, they go back to their, you know, their parent club or you have to, you know, spend the money that you would have, you know, spent anyway to go buy them. Um, so, I mean, it, you know, you don't get the upside, but you also don't have the downside of, you know, you spent a ton of money on a player. So it, it's a, a low risk, low reward kind of thing. And I think that's fine for the situation that Arsenal are in right now. 
Um, I think, you know, the bigger, you know, priority and it seems to be is that, you know, we need to clear out a lot of the dead weight, which seems to be um, doing well so far, um, which is definitely good to see. So give us flexibility for the summer. I, um, I understand. I think, I think a, that this would put us one non-homegrown player over the limit again. So we'd have to move out someone like Runnerson, which I know we want I, to. I, I thought, you know, yeah, I mean, like possibly, but I thought we, we had that covered by Kolasinac going out. No, if we bring in, uh, if Ryan and Odegaard both come in, we're one over. That's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. So yeah, weird rules and stuff like that. Yeah, because I thought he had a Ryan had a you know a, an English passport as well. But again, I think it depends on where you're actually trained and not necessarily what your passport is. Yeah. But maybe the rules have changed and it's. And look, I, I read that on Twitter, which is never wrong about anything. So I I assume it's correct. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. it's certainly possible that yeah things could change. We could, you know, rejigger things if we want that. I, I think it is a, a good, you know, thing to have this kind of, because I look at, you know, we have 20, at least 22 matches um, over the next four, you know, and a, a little bit more months. So we, we are going to be playing probably two matches a week, basically through the end of the season. And that's a lot of minutes um, that we need to be able to do, um, especially when two of our, you know, key players in us performing well have been, you know, guys that are just, you know, coming into their early 20s. So I think that's something that is, you know, good to see. We need more players that can spell them because I don't think it's good to play those guys every, you know, every three days kind of a thing. So I think that's a, a good to have more options. Um, I think this is kind of a realization that William um, did not um, provide the impact that we initially thought he was going to do. Well, um, well understated there. Too. Appreciate that. <laughs> So I mean, yeah, I mean, it's been fucking it's good, terrible. You know, recognize your mistakes. Let's 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 bring in somebody else who can do the things that we I think we hoped William could do. Um, I think this also really kind of says that Pepe may not be long for Arsenal as well, seeing as we're trying to kind of do other things. But I think that's more with with Saka really kind of emerging and looking good on the right and probably taking that position from him. So, I mean, to me, it's a, a good thing. He's able to play in multiple positions. Um, I don't think we'll feel the need to start him every match kind of a thing where, you know, if you have a, a guy that you go and you spend a ton of money on, so we can, you know, kind of pick him, you know, choose the spots that I think makes the most sense for him. We have a lot of competitions that we will need to, you know, put, you know, cover in even if he's a guy off the bench he's a, a guy that really solidifies the bench where you know sometimes that was looking a little iffy at times and you know we no longer have the Europa League as an opportunity to rotate players so this mm. is going to be something where we're going to need starting caliber players playing those and I, I really hope that we get past the next round and we have you know at least four to you know six more matches of Europa League to look forward to so I, I think this is something that we needed to cover in these positions he's a player that you know, is very exciting. Um, you know, especially when you watch the highlights, you know, I was, I was watching it with yeah, my daughter this morning. It's a fun player. And um, her comment was that he looks like he would be the best player on Arsenal. So your, your daughter, so how old is your daughter again? This. Just to be clear. Uh, she is uh, eight years old. So mm -hmm. she's... Yes. The, your daughter you know, is a backstabbing weasel. <laughs> <laughs> Turns she's out. coming for my job. Yeah. <laughs> so um, going to, yeah. She's yeah. got the, the, the scouting approval on him. Good. All right. Well, look, I, I, any scouting approval is is a positive that we will add into the, the data points for this player. I'm very excited about him. I think he's a, a really exciting player with big upside. I do hope we get an option to buy. I, I think that's a remote likelihood. I My guess is Zidane will not be at Madrid next season. And these players who haven't particularly been in his plans will have a route back. And I think Madrid will want to keep all the doors open there uh, with players like Ceballos, ironically. And... Uh, Odegaard as well. Look, I think that there's an upside and a downside to this. The upside is really clear in my view. It just makes the team better right now, period. 
Now, you could say there's not enough that we're still playing for to be short-term in our thinking, but I, I think it's fair to say, look, the, the Europa League, as remote as our chances are of winning it right now, given the relative strength of the teams left in it, the reward of it is so massive, and it is still something we are playing for. You talk about being able to shortcut your way into the next stage of the project. You win the Europa League, you're in the Champions League, and we feel miles away from that in, by the league route, so it's worth it. Uh, I think if you are able to prevent injuries from derailing the progression of important young players, namely Smithrow, that has a huge value all of its own. Smithrow picks up a hamstring and misses two months. It's just devastating. It's devastating for Now, look, that can still happen even if he has a player to help rotate minutes with him. I think it's also really interesting from the standpoint that because he profiles like an Awar or even a little bit like a Bundia, if those are players we target in the summer, loaning a guy who looks like he can do the things you're your full-term solution will be is helpful, right? Because then when you bring in, let's say you bring in a war because you can't get Odegaard. You're not saying now we have to totally change what we do to suit this type of player because you say the player we've had on loan was aping the role this guy will have. So it seems like a good fit in terms of what we were looking at uh, on permanent moves. It seems like a good fit in terms of minute rotation. If you wanted to be a skeptic and say why you're against the loan, and look, Paul, you referenced this. Loans haven't gone great for us. January loans in particular. Suarez didn't work out. Cedric didn't work out. Ceballos has had some periods of being a good loanee, but overall the loan has been a really mixed bag that probably could have been better handled by a permanent solution. Uh, you go back to Yossi Benayoun as one <clears throat> that, that worked, but you know not at like an elite level. So loans haven't been great. But the in terms of the integration issue, look, we signed Andre Arshavin in January, and no player has ever hit the ground running as fast as Andre Arshavin. Same with Aubameyang. The slight difference with Odegaard is he's not been playing the kind of minutes at Madrid that would leave him arriving to us in peak form, ready to go, and there's no time for him to get up to speed. So just some things to bear in mind. And and this would be my last point. Ultimately, as a club that has an interest in producing assets that we can sell and raise money and rebuild the team, the only downside to a loan is you say, if the league, you know, let, let's say we're into March, and it's clear we're not going to get top six. And we're, we're just really focused on the Europa League. Can you give Aziz some Premier League minutes? What is that worth to you in do, in pounds for the future or just in opportunities for the future? Can you give Willick some midfield minutes where he impresses, hopefully, and becomes a really saleable asset in the summer as opposed to really just riding the bench the rest of this season? Same with uh, Maitland-Niles. Could you give Maitland-Niles a few, you know, 20 midfield minutes here, 20 midfield minutes there, really rehabilitate that player in a way where you can move him on in the summer for a good amount of money? I think the the only downside to a loan is that you you block the flexibility to maybe develop some of the other players in your team that with 20 minutes here, a one start there, a half hour here, become either valuable assets or make their progress into the first team. Uh, with Odegaard now, you start to say, you. please. And say that Arsenal have had this so many times that where we put players on loan and they just don't get played. So Arsenal can do that same thing to Real Madrid. All right, I'm done. <laughs> no, but so you're saying loan Odegaard and don't play him? Because <laughs> that's, I don't think that's the point. <laughs> I don't think we're doing that. Um, but but yeah, I mean, no, it, it is it is the point though that like, by bringing in a guy you don't own who will go back to Madrid in the summer, you are using starts and minutes for that player that may have theoretically gone to 
been available to players that you have a vested interest in developing either for sales or for their future, right? I mean, in, in, a, in a simplified version of this, by keeping Enkedia, we block Balogun, we lose Balogun, right? By by having, um, you know, players in your squad that block other players, you limit your options. Now, again, overall, I really like this move. I like it for the reasons I said. The minute rotation stuff, I like it for just he's a fun player. I want to watch play for Arsenal. It, nothing wrong with wanting to be entertained. I think he fits the profile of the types of guys we're looking for permanently, so it's a seamless tactical strategic fit. And if there's an option to buy, then it's an absolute dead net no-brainer because this is a huge talent who is still just 22 years old. But, Clive, I mean, do you do you think that there's any Oi. stake... Oh, sorry, Paul. My, my bad. Do you think that there's any stake in the oh. argument that... Um, no. So, so basically, if you look at this from a no, so no, no, I'm I'm here. making no sense. Is that, is that, the, is that the point, General? <laughs> well, some some sense as always, right? But optics point of view, right? We just borrowed 120 million pounds from the bank, right? So we can't go and buy anybody now. This is a very good option, whether it's loan or permanent or loan to permanent. This is as good as option as you could get the type of player that we need. I think it's I think it's a really really smart move. Just come available an opportunity, and we seem to be taking it. Again, optics to the type of team we want to be, the type of players we want to buy. We spoke about Leicester last night. This is the sort of move that they would do. In fact, they were interested, right? So, and it make that's a good that's a good sign, right? A really good sign. And those players you're talking about blocking their paths. Well, wasn't it Willett just had the most appearances last season? Yeah, like 40 for appearances. No, I, again, 44. Can, can, I, can I just stop you for one second? I'll let you go again. I was mm-hmm. laying out what your case might be for why loans wouldn't... Be. I am in favor of this deal. I like this player, and I like this deal. I want to plant my flag there. I think it's always important to say, what are some of the reasons loans maybe aren't moves that benefit the club long-term? Because we should at least present that perspective. So go on, but I want to be clear. I'm planting my flag in favor of yeah. this move. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm just going to talk and then you can yeah. pull me apart really. And I would, think we'd be happy to do. So I'm, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not worried about it. Elliot. I'm, I'll tell you what, I, when I do get worried, I get worried when we have to watch Saka play and he's the only person that can take on the half term for three months. That's when I get worried. Do you see what I mean? And this is an area and skill set that we absolutely needed players to fill. We literally had nobody but that kid to do it until another kid appeared appeared over the, the horizon and had four or five amazing games, right? So, which wasn't in my plan. I didn't see that coming, right? So, um, no need to cough, Paul, right? So, so now I think we've got a situation with this kid and now somebody else that can play the way we want to see the team play, right? So, that's all I want, really. I, I want to see this guy play on the pitch. If we, if we get him, which I think we will. And I want to see him do some of the things that we maybe struggled against. On those videos I've watched, he's very good at low block slicing. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. cutting through low blocks. And I've, I've got this thing in my head about where the game's going with low blocks at the moment. After watching Burnley almost kill my brain yesterday with the, how they play. But low blocks are in fashion. and We need people that know how to break them. People that can really backspin the ball reverse angle passes, real accuracy, when, you know, close up on the last third. I really want to see that pre-assist pass, really. And and we need that. So I think it's really interesting. And I, I hear you going on the loan thing. I'm just not bothered. I want the club to sort that out, you know. And if we have money in the summer to go and get this a better version of this player, maybe two years older, then fine. But so right now, I think it's a really good move. Mm. Uh, Paul, sounds like you want to jump all over my 
my, my did, arg- yeah. arguments. No, no. Please do, yeah. I wanted to agree with one point you made on the loan. Um, uh, there were probably some other good points in there, but the one about how a player like this allows us to play in the way we want to play, like we're still building a template for what we can be. And the only quibble I'd have is you undersold the significance of that. We don't know if he can do it, but if he comes in and he can provide what Smith Rowe has done consistently and more maybe uh, and we start to function in a particular way and develop an identity and a, st- a style that goes way beyond the contribution of one player. And worrying about where that leaves us in the league is, you know, that that's a consideration. But the real consideration is, do we believe? And at the moment, we're, we don't know if we believe. The, the players, the squad, the future players incoming, the, the management, the execs in the club, Arted himself doesn't yet know maybe if he believes in in where the project is going you bring a guy in who shows how it can how we can play we start playing uh developing an attractive attacking style of success uh, of football that leads to success and maybe we only end up at eighth or ninth by the end of the season but we're really humming and we have the template we know what we want to do we know the kind of player to go after in the market the Crankies look at it and they say, yeah, here's 50 million, here's 60 million to get either that player or that style of player because we know that now works. You know, the, you you can get a huge amount of synergy out of seeing it work and knowing that what you need is this player or this kind of player. So mm-hmm. it, it may not work out that well. He might just be quite good or, you know, it might be a dodgy loan, but there is a real upside beyond, oh, we played a bit better, we did a bit better in the Europa League, we got up the table to eighth or ninth, but kind of so what? We should have given the minutes to one of our developing players. There's there's something bigger than, it sounds I, like I got choked up there, but yeah. I didn't. I fundamentally there's something disagree. something bigger than that. Like, I fundamentally yeah. disagree with that perspective, but ironically, I don't good. wind up disagreeing with whether the move is good. Like, I, you know me, I just don't, I don't really care about optics or feeling in the group or sentiment about the manager. Like, I just care. Uh, but Do we ha- you've gone to the emotional aspect. The, the emotions are about something. It's about the team actually functioning the way it's supposed to. The game plan, the, the setup, the strategy, the coaching, the direction, the direction of travel of the team. I don't care about the feelings. The feelings are a symptom. Right, so you're saying but, showing that the, that the approach can be effective. And look, it that, actually that, that, being effective. Yeah, it being effective. No, and, us, and to be fair, bossing teams around by putting in that that piece that makes us totally agree. Function yes, so yeah, and, that and we're aligned. We know our direction. We know our recruitment. You know, no, I, and and the reason I like that is because as I, and I I thought I said this in my positives about the move, which is that like you, um, you did I was agreeing yeah, with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, good. So this is an agreement actually, which is basically just that the thing I really like about this move is he's the type of player who even if we don't keep him, he looks a lot like the type of players we're targeting for permanent moves anyway. So if he really yeah, works out, yeah, 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 exactly. No, that I I really like that, and and yeah. uh, you know what I will say is just that like look, <laughs> we all can. There's no disagreeing with this. A loan is inherently a short-term move, right? When the loan ends, you have to then, if the player was really effective, replace what he provided. If the player wasn't effective, figure out sort of why that wasn't effective and try to find a player that can add what he didn't. But like, you know, again, 
because it's a very low cost move, if we couldn't get the targets we really wanted or couldn't agree on who they were, I'd much rather we do this than nothing. I'd much rather we do this than nothing. If you know you want Buendia or War, but you couldn't get them in this window, I'd much rather we do this than nothing. So yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think we all agree here. All I was laying out, and I just want to be clear about this again, because I agree with you, is just that like, there will no, be I some agree minutes. With you. And so, no, I agree with you. There will be some minutes and some opportunities that don't get accessed by virtue of the player coming in. Sure. And that's, in this case, I think that is outweighed by the benefits. Scott, let me bring you back in here just real quick. I mean, I feel like we went around the bend there disagreeing with each other about a point we agree with. Uh, but yeah, why don't you, why don't <laughs> you, you sort of... You just had to go hot taking. That's all you had to do. It's I wasn't okay. hot taking. I, I think it is important to, to express a 360 degree perspective on the transaction. But you know, maybe I'm crazy. You, you tell me. No, it, it is a valid, I think you, you have a valid, this is the downside of it. It's not a huge downside, but yeah, it is the potential that he could block players we want to get minutes for um i'm hopeful you know and that you know because it's a loan there isn't that same incentive that we need to give him those same minutes that you know we would if he was a permanent transfer so i mean if things do go bad that hopefully we don't feel that pressure to play him when we could be playing some of our other people that we want to make a determination on so that's I'm, an I'm interesting perspective that, yeah, that tits, up, there. Scott, tits up <laughs> yes, tits up. I mean, that's that's I guess the the correct way to do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's you know that's I think when you talked about Balogun, I mean, Eddie's a player that we actually have, so that's why I think there was more incentive to play him. Um, a guy like Odegaard, he's not ours, so is there going to be that same pressure to give him the minutes? Probably not. So that's that's the only reason that I would say that that downside is a little bit more minimized. No, that's a really interesting point, actually, which is if he comes in and he looks smashing, he helps us. And if he comes in and he doesn't look smashing, what do we care if he languishes on the bench? Welcome. He's not our problem. Yeah, exactly. and we've had that happen to our loanies as well, which Scott pointed out. So I think that's interesting. I think we can leave it there for him and wrap up on, on the Matt Ryan <clears throat> acquisition just super quickly. But as a final point, Clive, on, on Odegaard, I mean, the one benefit that I don't think we've hit on too is just that like, if having another creative player unlocks even more from Saka, unlocks even more from Aubameyang who, you know, needs to get back on track. If it helps Smith Rowe, yeah. you know, in his development, if it if it unlocks the potential of some of the other players in the front line that that have struggled because maybe they haven't had the delivery, they haven't had the um the ball. But you know, cuz cuz here's the problem, right? Let's say you have to put Smith Rowe on the bench and you bring Willian to play number 10 and suddenly no one's getting the ball and players are upset and the attack breaks down. There is a benefit to the development of our younger players having another creative player in the squad. So that, that can help a sack. It can help a Martinelli. Yep. It can help a Smith-Rowe. Yeah, if you're, um, if you're Martinelli and Aubameyang, they play that left-hand corner. And every video that I've watched, you see the guy get the board and he's going a lot of right-to-left passes. So he does some reverses. If you're Aubameyang now, you're licking your lips because every time you move, he's going through the lines. And so that's nice. Aubameyang's just discovered a, a partner in party. And if you're Martelli now, this guy's got ability to find you. So I think that's a different shape. As Paul said earlier, another lefty. Not the same profile to a Willock or a Nelson. And when a player comes into the squad, the first thing it does is, for those players on the fringes, they think, okay, where do I now, where do I now fit? I better talk to my agent. What does this mean for me? I'm just hanging on squad on the squad, the edge of the squad right now with nine subs. This guy comes, he's going to be in the squad. Does that mean I've got a suit on on a Saturday? You know what I mean? So it's uh, this is where things start to move now. 
But if I'm Nelson and if I'm Willock, I'll be seriously going to see the manager and saying, do I need to go on loan? If I was them, I would be asking to go on loan anyway because they're plateauing because they're not getting enough time on the pitch. Right, so, so that is where this is when the squad starts to move. The competition starts to get better. The quality goes up. This is a good indicator. I think you said a really good thing earlier about this player works doesn't work. This type of player is the message that we're sending to the world. This is where we're going. You know, this is the quality of player that we're after. This is the profile of player that we're after. And I, I just, I can't say negative at the moment. Unless he comes in and plays worse than Dennis Suarez, then we got but, a problem. But to, right? to Scott's so, point, does that matter? I mean, do, do, it doesn't really hurt us, right? Well, it matters because I think we, I think we need it, and I generally mm. feel that we are relying on those young boys too much, right? And and the moment they have a bad game, you're going to massively agree with that statement. Do you know what I mean? And we've seen it with you know, a, a kid is at Bournemouth right now. A kid, he's 28. As a free transfer, somebody we over relied on when he was flying. We overplayed him. We didn't diagnose his injuries appropriately. We didn't give him the right rehab. Now he's a free transfer to Bournemouth at the age of 28. 29, thank you, Paul. 29, right? So and he looks the oldest 29-year-old you're ever going to see as you watch him limp around the pitch. And I think it's a shame, right? I think it's a real shame. So I'm very conscious of this. There's plenty of time for Smith Rowe. There's plenty of time for Saka. We've got to allow them to get there and make sure their minutes are appropriate for their ages. Mm. You, you, you guys, I spent this whole pod being mostly positive about a move, happy about a move, and now Charles Watts has to go trigger me. Don't do it. Don't do it, by, by saying that um, we are apparently interested in Ryan Bertrand from Southampton who has six months left on his deal. Yeah, and that's, he, a very, that's a fantastic thing. <laughs> He's over 31, I want to say. And yes, it would be 32 next year. 32 next year. I mean, a, it, look, he's someone to keep William company. Brilliant. <laughs> You're trying to trigger me. You're literally baiting me. <laughs> you know that that gif from the Mad Max movie? Uh-uh, that's bait. That's what you're doing, isn't it? <laughs> Beat me honest. I think it's a fantastic move. <laughs> I don't think he's quite old enough. <laughs> I hate you. Uh, by the way, if you missed it, we, we did our first ever. One is an old fullback, right? We did our first ever um, Premier League general pod for patrons yesterday, Premier League Roundup. If you want to listen to it, we'd love your feedback on it. But like, we did a long talk about smart clubs versus dumb, dumb clubs, and you'll be shocked to hear the smart club section was not go buy all the 32-year-olds you can get your hands on. However, one older player I'm fine with super, super quick, uh, Paul I mean, look, reducing your runnerson exposure is really the goal of football. We appear to have done that. I'm not saying Matt Ryan is great. He's had a bad season. He was fine last season. The point is, it's an end-of-the-season loan with an eye towards insulating us from Runnerson. Obviously, we never should have bought Runnerson to begin with, but at least we've unwound that mistake a little bit. The Matt Ryan deal just seems like safe, sensible move, right? Paul? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as you say, who cares who who your second goalkeeper is unless it turns out to be Shitter Shitterson. Mm-hmm. So, um, though I don't think you meant you didn't care that much. So, like, getting a half-decent goalkeeper, does he stand in front of the line? Because he's, like, six foot tall. So I'm getting a spin of flashbacks here. If he stands in front of the line, if he's a good lad, uh, if he doesn't make much of a fuss, if he doesn't uh, uh, drink all the coffee in the the training area. Uh, yeah, this this makes lots of sense. Yeah, so, uh, and you know what's good about it? In. 
Unlike a younger keeper that you're signing, like with a big future at the club, where you feel you have to give him the cup minutes, or you have, you know what I mean? Like when you've got like a, yeah. a young buck pushing for the the number one, you got to keep him happy. So you got to play him in the cup. If Leno played every game between yeah. now and the end of the season, Matt Ryan isn't going to care. He's an Arsenal fan. He's happy to be here. He knows he's a backup. You don't you don't have any pressure to use him if you don't want. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. yeah, we can totally shit on this guy. <laughs> I did. Look, he's an Arsenal fan, an Aussie, a, g- a good guy. Happy to have him at the club. We're not going to touch on the Ryan Bertrand thing now because I just don't look. I'm excited about Odegaard. I hope we it's do it. Loan I think to buy. It's not in the contract, Elliot. We have promised to buy Ryan Bertrand at the end of his loan, <laughs> regardless of whether he's any good. And look, backup left back is absolutely a priority. I just don't think that guy has to be 32. But to be fair, you know. When you've got some old guys at the club, you can't have everyone running around making TikTok videos. Some of them need to sit around and, you know, read newspapers together. So maybe, maybe that's what this is about. Let's leave it there. Uh, Scott, thanks for joining. Scott's on Twitter. O underscore that. O underscore grab. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. Uh, Paul's Thank on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Woohoo. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Clive, if you were available on a free, are you old enough for Arsenal? <laughs> I'm not quite old enough. Loan to buy, buy, loan to buy, loan to buy. Um, Definitely heavy enough. (laughs) Hey, well, I'll tell you what. We're going to move away from the old men sitting around talking about football and talk with Jessica Black from She Knows Arsenal podcast after the break. So definitely, please stay with us. You're going to love hearing from her. And we'll come back with that after this. Stay with us. And now we can start the proper section of the podcast with someone who will speak nothing but sense uh, and be coherent. And uh, likely there will be very few interruptions or any of the nonsense that you put up with in the previous section. So I'm thrilled about that. Uh, So we are joined now by Jessica Black. She's the host of She Knows Arsenal, a fantastic podcast about Arsenal you can find on YouTube. And uh, yeah, I was shocked to know that there are are podcasts about Arsenal out there other than this one. I, I had not heard any news about that, but it turns out there are some other options you can choose from, and hers is excellent. You can find her on Twitter at It's Jessinho. So I-T-S-J-E-S-S-I-N-H-O. It's Jessinho. Jessica, it's a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm super excited to talk to you today. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm so excited. I'm geeked. Yeah, well, I I am as well. And, um, you know, it's always one of these situations where uh, it's a baptism of fire because you get to speak to me and you have to guess at what I'm asking you as my internet breaks up and you hear every third word. So it's sort of an interpretive dance that we do here where I try to talk, no one can hear me, and then you just say whatever's on your mind in response to that initial salvo. So let's let's do this. We had a bit of a running order. We're going to tear it up just a little bit with the Odegaard news. We've talked Odegaard a bit earlier on. Uh, before we get to the strategy of, of loaning a player in January, just in terms of the kind of player he is, the the characteristics of the player, the profile of the player, and what you think he could add to Arsenal, is this a move that excites you? Yeah, for sure. Um, a couple of years ago when I first um, started watching him for, well, actually it wasn't a couple of years ago, it was just last year, watching him for uh, Sociedad, I was like, how do we get this player to Arsenal? Like, he's great, you know, and um, I mean, not to even be funny, he's very similar to Ozo in a way. He's almost like a modern Ozo, right? So Odegaard basically um, came from a smaller club in Norway and Real Madrid acquired him like really young. And then as he got older, he was loaned out to Sociedad and that's where he really kind of blossomed. Like as a young player, he's 22 now. 
And when he played for Sociedad, he basically played as an attacking midfielder. Sometimes I saw him off of the right-hand side, but mostly kind of like in that 10 role. And he was integral for Sociedad in their, um, in their trying to get into Europe. So mm-hmm. they're in the Europa League, just like we are, which is something that they don't really do that often. And as a player, he plays in that right half space. So that's where he likes to play. So he's a floater. But just like, I hate to mention him again, but just like Ozo, like he plays in that right half space and um, likes to bring players in, plays nice one, two, kind of like, kind of like Emil Smith Rowe and how mm-hmm. we've been playing. Like he can um, beat a player and dribble and all that kind of stuff, but his vision is impeccable. Mm. He can um, switch play, he can find seams and he can play between the lines. He can also um, beat a man and get to the byline. Like he has a very, um, kind of like wide birth of of talent, if mm-hmm. that's even a yeah, range way of to skills. Describe it. Yep. But mm-hmm. yeah, he does. And the good thing about him is he's not even in. He, this is not the end product. Like he's right. still going to improve as time goes on. And having him at Arsenal for six months, what it really does for us is if he can adapt and stay healthy and all that kind of stuff, because he has had kind of like a dodgy knee. Mm. issue is we're future proofing Emil Smith Rowe, who's in my mind, our biggest priority at the moment. Um, I can't really look past the six month loan because I'm not sure if we'll have Odegaard for any further past that. But what this gives us an opportunity to do is give Emil rest, which is what he needs. And like I said, he's our priority. So I'm loving this loan. I love the player. I love the profile. And ultimately he can play in a system where he plays as the 10 or he can play off wide and let Emil play the 10. So we have options. When you say you can play wide, would you see him more as a right-sided winger because you could then, you know, potentially rest Saka as well. So he becomes a rotational option for both our young players that we need to protect or it lets Saka go back to the left side occasionally and, exactly. and rest Aubameyang. So if he is able to be in that, that trio or, or, or one of the two wide attacking roles, it just gives us so many more rotational options and, you know, I mean, obviously then we could talk about this down the road a little. It leads to the question of Pepe and Willian being pushed further from starting positions. And and one of those yeah. things is definitely a good thing. One of those things may be a little more troubling. Uh, in terms mm-hmm. of just the loan in general, and by the way, I do appreciate you referencing Mesodozo because it dovetails nicely with my earlier joke about um, the MO10 social media handle still being available now, mm-hmm. the Martin Odegaard 10 versus Mesodozo 10. So that, that was a, a helpful... Um, uh, <laughs> relation back, reference back to an earlier joke. So as far as the FIFA player in me who says, ah, but can he play with Smith Rowe? I think there's going to be a lot of people that want to, you know, it's the FIFA instinct. I want to get all the fun players on the pitch together. I want Oba. I want Martinelli. I want Saka. I want Smith Rowe. I want Odegaard. I want them all on the party. But realistically, do you think that that's probably going to be a little too lightweight in midfield trying to play a Smith Rowe Odegaard pairing together with just a party behind them? Um, I think I think that um, I, I wouldn't expect to see it in that way. I wouldn't expect to see Thomas kind of like sitting in and, mm. you know, Odegaard on the right, um, Smith Rowe on the left. I wouldn't I wouldn't expect to see that. What I would expect to see is if we wanted to be able to get them both into the lineup at once is for Odegaard to play like right forward mm. and Smith Rowe to play 10. And we keep our stability um, behind them with Thomas and um the great and wonderful Jaka, you know, because that's what we're doing, you know, don't, but don't trigger I me. I, I know bait when I see it. Come on. That's not fair. <laughs> but that's, that's how I could see that 
that working. Um, I don't see us, we're not, we're not um, an, enough of an attacking force yet to kind of like throw everything and just play party by himself. But if we did want to get them both in the, in the lineup at once, that's what we could do. And mm. what that would also allow us to do is bring Oba center, you know, into the center, mm-hmm. you know, the reason why we, some of the reason why we have to play him off of the left is to keep Lacazette as the center forward to link play. But if you add an additional technical player, you know, it's like the difference between having a Martinelli and a Saka off the left. One is a little bit more technical. You have three technically sound players in Odegaard, Smith Rowe and Saka behind Oba. Then you don't have to rely on him to connect play. You know what it reminds so, me again, of a little bit? Sorry. Yeah, it, it reminds me kind of like the role in Awobi played as one of the front three on the left side, right? Like Awobi was not an assister, was not a goal scorer, but he was a really good connective player. And I didn't love that because I still think your forwards need to have end product. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I do think that that puts a little more pressure on the players you're leaving in. But yes, if you put Sack on the left or Martinelli on the left and move Oba central by adding a, an Odegaard to the right forward position, or if he did play on the left side, um, you're adding another connective player. So you take some of the burden off of what you lose by having that uh, sort of false nine role that Lacazette plays. And I, you know, Odegaard left footed. So you could play him on the left and, and have him putting in crosses, you know, sort of the Tierney role in, in some essence, uh, especially if you want to keep your fullback withdrawn a little more, maybe in the bigger games. Uh, on mm-hmm. the right, he becomes more of like the role Sack has been playing, right? Where he's cutting in on his left and delivering the ball from from the right side with that in-swinging ball, a little bit Mesut mm-hmm. Ozil-ish as well. Do you, any concern at all about going short-term with a loan here? I mean, let's say there's no option to buy. Presumably, we weren't able to find a permanent option, you know, whether it was a Buendia or an Awar. Um, but this is a really fun player coming in. If there's no option to buy does it change your opinion of it at all? Or do you think there's still enough to play for this season and enough excitement to have with them in the team that it, that it's worth it regardless? Mm, you know, I have mixed feelings about it just because um, there's a really best case scenario. And then there's the scenario where he doesn't adapt. He doesn't play until March. You know, there's, there's so many question marks around this, like to a certain extent before we were even linked with him. I was okay with us not bringing anybody in because it's so short term, you know, and having somebody adapt to the league, you know, in the way that the league is kind of going with COVID and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, it's going to be tough for him to adapt, you know? So, uh, you know, I don't have an issue with the six month loan. There's just, I want, I want people to know, like, this may not work out, you know, and there is no option to buy. So he may go straight back to Madrid, but there's, there's a best case scenario where he does adapt. He fits in well, and we have him for six months. And as long as Zinedine Zidane is the the coach of Real Madrid, Odegaard will not be there. Yeah, that's big. They don't get along, Mm -hmm. you know, and it doesn't look like Real Madrid is going to sack Zidane anytime soon, you know? So what that does is like, if it, if it works out for us and he does like being at Arsenal, we may be able to extend the loan for another year and then see what happens after that. So Mm. with Arsenal being the type of club, that's always reminding us that we don't have funds being able to fit somebody else in there on a loan would give us the opportunity to fix maybe the center back, you know, bring in another center back or another center midfielder. So there's a really best case scenario. And then there's a scenario where it just doesn't work out. And you, you know what I think is interesting? And I'm guilty of this too. If you see a loan that has no option to buy, you have a loan with an option to buy, you think, great, if it works out, we buy the player. 
But when you see a loan with no option to buy, you say, well, what's the point? He's just going back in six months. The fact that there's no option to buy doesn't mean you can't try to buy him from the club, right? I mean, it's not that binary, and I am guilty of seeing it that way. Option to buy means we can get him. No option to buy means we can't. I mean, there's nothing to say that he couldn't really impress us, like it at Arsenal, like his life in London, mesh well with the team, express a desire to stay, and we go to Madrid with a fair offer, and they say, you know what? Zidane is staying. He's not in our plans. The offer is fair. Let's sell him. So the mere fact of not having an option to buy doesn't mean you can't buy the player, right? I mean, it just it just means you don't totally control that. But like any player, you have an ability to buy him, and you have an inside track in the sense that if the player really likes it where he is and doesn't want to go back, you have that player power aspect of it, right? So, so it doesn't mean yeah. you can't get him. And a lot of the times the option to buy, like the reason why they'll keep it out is because usually when you have an option to buy, it's at a certain amount. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to lock that in if he does do well. And let's say the option to buy is like 25 or something like that, 30. You know, you don't want to lock us into that. Like they're going to want to just, they're going to want to rinse us just like they want to do with Ceballos. That's why they didn't add the option to buy for him mm. is because if they do well, then you can say, well, now I want 60, you know, but when you do an option to buy with the fee already locked into that, it, it limits the options for Real Madrid to negotiate with us later on. Yeah, of course. You know, so it's not really, it's not a, it's not a big deal. Ultimately, if they don't want him, if we, if we want him and they don't want him and we put the money on the table, we could get him. So. Yes, yeah, especially if he's enjoyed his time at the club. And so I, I definitely think that's part of it. And I mean, look, there's still Europa League to play for as remote as it feels to me. If you go win the Europa League in your Champions League club next season, that changes players' desires to stay. That changes the budget that you have to keep them. And you never know what could happen from there. Let's move on from Odegaard for a minute and just touch on a couple other rumors. One we didn't get to in the main section because it was literally breaking as we were recording it uh, is, is the one I'm really excited about. I don't know if you know this, but we we signed uh, an aging, but not old, but aging right back from Southampton, um, Portuguese player, who actually just had a fantastic game. Let's give him credit where it's due. Just play, played a really nice game against Newcastle. Uh, his name is Cedric Suarez. And uh, we've, we've loved that deal so much. We are now going to try apparently to get an older uh, aging Southampton left back in Ryan Bertrand, who apparently wants more money than Southampton are willing to re-up him for. And so uh, he is looking to Arsenal. As far as this kind of move, like, look, Let's be honest. We need a backup to Kieran Tierney. It is not easy to recruit players to come be backups. You know, what kind of player with with a big ceiling left in their career comes to be a backup? So how do you balance someone like me who moans and complains and whines basically for a living, um, saying he's too old, this is nonsense, why do we want to go get a thirty soon-to-be 32-year-old backup fullback with the fact that, like, you know, you're not going to find some 22-year-old hot shot who wants to sit behind Kieran Tierney on modest money to be the backup. How do you, how do you approach a situation where it's pretty clear we do need someone to back up the left back, but this deal still, to me, feels like a bit of a big yikes. Well, I mean, like on paper, I don't like it. You know, I'm looking at him like he's 31 years old. The last thing we need is another aging anything on Arsenal. We need to. Can I stop you for one the, second? Uh, yeah. Just real quick, because I want to make this point. It is um, it is a deep, deep pain that I experience every time 
someone says 31 years old and then says aging. Like it, it, it is just a deep uh, pain in my soul as I realize that like I am referring to 31 and 32 year old players as aging. Uh, and I would literally bite someone's arm off to be 31 or 32 years old at this point. So yeah, it is, it is a painful, painful thing that you experience as, as you get a bit older and, and talk about sports and realize that these aging players are like many years your junior anyway i just i felt the pain when you said aging in 31 as, as a fresh-faced youngster as you are so yes go ahead i apologize for the inane interruption well so like when you look at it on paper like i don't love it you know i don't want another aging player on arsenal like at, right now i'm like we just need to bring the age down mm. but at the same time like you said there's no young you know kind of up and coming player that's going to come and know that he's going to be behind Karen Tierney. Right. So I think ultimately with these types of deals, what we need to do is try not to let them be on long-term deals, you know, two, three years max, if we can, you know, do something like that. I think Cedric for four is a little, uh, you know, but if, if it was like a two or three year deal, and the plan was to bring somebody through the academy or something like that to be the inevitable, like, you know, left back understudy for Karen Tierney, then that's a better plan. My whole thing is when we when we give out big money and we give out big contracts, like long term contracts, that's my issue. But if it's a stopgap, just to make sure that we protect Tierney, because ultimately, like Tierney is so important to us. We saw that like during the Crystal Palace game, we were dead without him. He was Mm. the biggest miss, you know, so we have to protect him at all costs. So if that means bring in a Ryan Bertrand for two, three seasons max and have a contingency plan for, you know, him being moved on and us being able to bring somebody through the Academy or something like that as a, because a young person, 20, 19, 20 years old, will be okay being behind Karen Turney for a certain amount of time. If they do get, you know, FA cup and, and Carabao cup and stuff like that. You know, Mm. but just to bring somebody in and not to see any sort of plan further after that and put them on a long term contract is what I don't like. So two or three years. okay, four years, like something like that with no plan beyond that is a problem for me. Yeah. And by by the way, you know, I'm trying to see if there's any evolution to this rumor because it's it's really just broken as as we've sort of been setting up to record. And if it were a loan, if we loaned Ryan Bertrand to just have a backup left back with Kolasinac going out and like not really having, you know, not really having any option behind Tierney, then fine. I mean, a seasoned professional certainly can do a job. You use him for the balance of the season. You figure out backup left back going forward. I think one of the things people, you know, sort of miss here with the argument that, okay, yeah, he's going to be 32, but what do you want in a backup left back? He's cheap, you know, he's fine. He's, he's a Premier League player. Is that like, okay, let's say you give him a three-year deal. And in his 33-year-old season, Tierney does a hamstring and is out six weeks. Why should we assume that 33-year-old Ryan Bertrand would be usable, would be any better than like a Colasinac or worse than that? Like, the problem is you're talking about a player really, really, really at the tail end of the career at that point. So you're saying... The guy behind Tierney is a guy who may crater to the point of unusability. I mean, you look at Willian. I don't think any... Look, I didn't love the deal to begin with, but I don't think I expect him to be this bad this quickly. So I don't think you... Finding backups is hard. Ideally, you find them in your academy. And, you know, if they're good enough, they're old enough, so to speak. But they get their minutes that way. 
I would sort of like Cedric to potentially be a left back and right back rotational option because he's two footed and you know I think he could probably do both. We'll have to see. One last super quick point we can touch on in the transfer market, and I don't want to go big on it because I don't think it's a big deal. But look, the scariest two words in Arsenal football right now are runner runnerson, and uh, not having runner runnerson exposure is a good thing. So like. Look, the club made a mistake. They went after a keeper they should never have gone after. So be it. They're correcting it now, seemingly, by bringing in Matt Ryan, loan him to the end of the season, a guy who can be a a non-terrifying backup to Leno when you move Runnerson on. So for you, is is this just basically correcting the error of the summer and, and unwinding our Runnerson exposure? Yeah, I mean, and also just keeping it simple. Mm-hmm. Just keep it simple, you guys. Don't You didn't need to try to get... David Rea. David Rea is a is a is a number one goalkeeper. You know, he's he was never gonna come. And the last thing we need is for another goalkeeper, like I love Emmy, but another goalkeeper to come in and and want to be number one or want to challenge Leno. That's not what we need. We just need stability and somebody who's okay with being a number two. So we kept it simple. We found somebody that has some Premier League experience, you know, wants to be at the club. Keep it simple. Like we put ourselves in a really scary situation, like more than anything, even more than the attacking midfielder, I do feel like we needed the goalkeeper because one injury from Leno, we're, we're down there in the relegation zone because no offense to Runnerson, but a shot on goal was almost a goal every single time with him, mm-hmm. you know? So I think we just kept it simple. We didn't overcomplicate it. We found somebody with the right credentials that is a number two is going to sit there and be a number two and not complain about it. So I think it was the right move. Waking up to that news was more exciting to me than Odegaard. Yeah. I mean, that tells you how scared you were of Runnerson. <laughs> so I, I, I am here for that. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was very afraid. Like after the Manchester City game, I just, I laughed like because I couldn't believe the level. And mm-hmm. like, that's not to beat down on him, but, and I know it was more of like um a missed opportunity logistical issue. It wasn't that they thought he was going to be the number two, but Adu and Arteta need to learn quick. You can never put us in a, in a scenario like that because as we know, as Arsenal fans, like not to be negative, but anything that is bad will happen to us. Like the worst case scenario usually does happen. So I'm happy that we were able to, to correct it before anything happened to Leno. Yeah. And I mean, I I said this on the previous section, but, you know, just to to build on that also, I think Matt Ryan will come in and if he doesn't get used in a single game, he's not going to freak out. You know what I mean? He's he's not a keeper we have to use. He's a keeper we have in reserve. The, you know, when you have a situation like we had with Martinez and Leno last season, and obviously Leno got injured, but like, you feel like you have to give both certain games, cup games to this guy. It's like when we had uh, uh, Czech and Ospina and you're like, please don't play Ospina in the cup. But we did because you felt like you had to give him games. You don't have to do that with Ryan. He, he can play or not play. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, let's let's touch on just a, a few broader Arsenal issues and, and move off the transfers um, because we've we've acquired the clicks as necessary from Transfer Talk now so we can get into more substantive issues. Um, just the season as a whole. You know, obviously it's characterized by two disparate periods at this point now, right? There's the insane losing run and the encouraging winning run. And... They, they are typified, I think, by a change in style, system, and personnel, right? Moving to the 4-2-3-1, uh, bringing in Smith-Rowe, Saka really making that right-wing spot his own in favor of Willian and Pepe, and, uh, you know, Martinelli coming back, although not 
you know, not being a huge part of this because he's, you know, been in and, in and out with a little bit of injury himself. But when you think about the job Arteta is doing in this season as a whole, do you have a sense of which reflects reality more closely? The, the challenging run, the winning run, or is there, you know, is there something between the two? Where do you, it's, I think it's a really hard season to wrap your head around in terms of creating the narrative. So where do you come down in terms of which one feels more representative of who we are in this moment? Um, I do think that for the sake of your I mentions, pick the I winning d- run. <laughs> <Just kidding>. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to be honest, be honest, be honest. I really mentions. think that, <laughs> that the FA cup, I just want to go back to that a little bit. I think gave us a false sense of reality of where we actually are mm. as a team and as a club and as a project, you know, so coming into the season, I, I, um, I thought we were around eighth place, sixth to eighth place, depending on what we brought in for transfers and um, our, our form, you know, so I don't think we're quite, I think the losing that seven game period where we didn't win any games was more um, had more to do with off the field stuff, you know, not being able to get the right combination of players out there attitude, you know, even Leno said it, that the attitude just wasn't great. You know, this team is not top four, but it's definitely not scraping the bottom of the barrel, basically in the relegation zone. So I would say we're closer to the team that started out the season. Those first couple of games where we beat Fulham, we beat West Ham, we beat Sheffield, we lost to Liverpool and we lost to Man City. Hmm. I would say that's more where we are, where, we beat the teams that we're supposed to beat, but we struggle against the better sides. The issue now is that the group of better sides is a lot bigger now, you know, and I don't expect us to beat Liverpool. I don't expect us to beat Man City, but where I think we're going to find more, more issues is with the Aston Villas, the Everton's, the Leeds, these types of teams that have offensive, you know, ability to hurt us, you know? So I would say that not the winning run, because this is what we're supposed to be doing. We should be able to be teams that are gravely out of form. Terrible. Wrong, <laughs> yeah. Newcastle. We should yeah. be able to beat these teams. I don't necessarily think we're the seven game losing streak team either, but I definitely think like in the beginning of the season, if you remember like kind of how we struggled to score goals, but we got it over the line over some of the, the not so great teams and we struggled with the bigger teams, but we were kind of in the game. I think that's where we are. I think we're more the team that started out the season. Yeah, that's I, I, think. I think that's fair. Look, I would say that I think some of our defensive solidity is a mirage, but I think some of the improvement in our attack is real. And the yeah. way I look at that is obviously player-related and system-related. I agree with you. I, I don't think we are now an all-conquering team based on what we've just done, nor do I think we ever should have been in in the in the in the deer that we were in, you know, during the losing run in the, in the doldrums where we were, but a big change. I think this four, two, three, one, you know, just like, I think he, he is a really smart manager with really interesting ideas about football, but that back three system felt like footballing calculus. 
And I don't think we had the player intelligence or technical quality to handle it. You know, Tierney playing as a left-sided center back who sometimes steps out, you know, to the wing to play winger. And so Saka is a, a wing back, but sometimes tucks in to be a forward, which helps Aubameyang, who's the winger, push in and be a, a, a support striker. But Lacazette is the false nine who drops into midfield and Hector Bellerin's kind of a midfielder who plays in the interior, but then has to chase back. Like it all just felt like too much responsibility on the players to understand positions. It was very Pep Guardiola. You could see that. And I don't I was think, about to say that. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's Pep, right. And positional football, juggle to position or whatever you call it. Like, okay, great. He switched to this four, two, three, one. And suddenly like Tierney's a fullback and Bellerin's a fullback or Cedric. And, Smith Rowe is between the lines as a 10 and you have two natural wingers and a striker and Lacazette, you can see his form come back as he doesn't have to play somewhere between the halfway line and, and the penalty spot. Like it, it all just feels a little, you know, and, and your midfielders are two double pivots. And even though midfield's a weakness for us, party coming back helps. Of course, it's just, um, mm-hmm. it just feels like he wanted his players to do more roles and understand positional football better than they were ready to. And in simplifying it and getting them into roles that feel more natural to them, it all just fits together better. Is that is that a failure of the players to not adapt to that position, or is it just good, sensible coaching from Arteta to, to put them back into comfort zones the way he has? You know, Arteta's a new coach, and he's learning on the job. Obviously, we know this, so I think he had a little bit of that, that pep thing going on, you know, where he... Pep does that too. He overcomplicates things and he's almost a victim of his own intelligence. You know, he's trying to do too much, think too quickly, you know, all that kind of stuff, overcomplicating everything. Especially in the Champions League, I would say. I think that's where you've seen Pep get in his own way, yeah. Exactly. It's like, I want to play this player here and it's like, you could see it, playing Willianna false nine, Mm -hmm. playing Lacazette at 10, you know, having Tierney do all these additional roles, you know, so even like the Leicester game, I feel like was just too overcomplicated, bombing on the right, da-da-da-da, you know, all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So, I don't think it's necessarily that the players couldn't adapt to additional roles. I just think that the roles that they were being given didn't suit them. And now he's simplified everything. And I, I remember listening to like the post-game um, analysis of the Newcastle game. And I think it was like Robbie Musto said, like he, he made it like so clear. He was like simple system, simple system. Like he liked it because it was simple. And I think simplifying everything has made it so much easier for us. And we do have intelligent players. We, I think we we have not a lot of them, like football <laughs> IQ wise. Football not IQ. Not according wise. to Clive, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> he <laughs> hates know, dumb players. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I think it was just a little bit over their head in terms of like how many different things they were supposed to be doing, and it was just making things way too complicated. Four two three one is is perfect for what we're trying to do right now, and. Mm. As we get more players that have better football IQ, Arteta will be able to implement more of his flexibility within his systems and all that kind of stuff. But right now, just keep it simple because they can't do it. They can't do that three, four, three shifting to the side and all that kind of stuff. They can't do that, you know? So I think just Arteta keeping it simple has made such a difference. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think that, the good thing, you know, look, whatever you think of the league, maybe top six is still in reach. Maybe it isn't. The, it's just, it, it is a bit of a lottery, but the Europa League is a lottery with such a huge payoff. And had the Europa League come back right after, you know, before we got on this run, before we switched to the 4 2 3 one, before Smith Rowe was integrated, like, I, I think the risk we would have had is an exit to Benfica. Not that we couldn't exit to Benfica now, but we look more positioned now 
to understand how to play to go on a bit of run in that competition. And it it is it is a competition that takes on such huge relevance for the club because if you somehow sneak into the Champions League at this point, it's just a huge boon to the project. And it is it is a shortcut that maybe we don't deserve, but I would gladly, gladly take it. So as we wrap up, just real quick, I mean, obviously we had some other topics we wanted to get to, but the transfer news was breaking, so I think we wanted to spend a little time there. Just a final point. I think one of the interesting things with Saka development, Odegaard coming in and Smith Rowe developing and all the all the good that's gone on, it's just further and further and further marginalized William and Pepe. Now, I, I read a really interesting tweet, for as interesting as tweets can be, making the point that William has come on over Pepe in a couple of games, West Brom and Newcastle, but he came on over them when we were 3-0 up and 4-0 up. In the game where we were 0-0, Pepe came on. And so maybe, just maybe, that indicates that Arteta understands that when the game is in the balance, he still trusts Pepe more as a player who can do something, but he has to get William some minutes. It is a tension. Both of those players, for different reasons, are important to the club. William, because he just arrived on big money on a long-term deal. Pepe, because we paid huge money for him. Only one of them looks like he could be moved out. That would be Pepe. I don't see how you'd move out William uh, other other than just hitting our favorite new button at the club, which is the cancel contract button. Um, <laughs> so how do you see that tension playing out? The role of William and Pepe, the balance of this season, and maybe going forward, and the the arrival of Odegaard, the emergence of Sack on the right, the these you know Martinelli getting back to fitness, these additional challenges that push them just further from having a really clearly defined role. Yeah, um, it's so. Please fix so the hardest problem at Arsenal, would you? <laughs> I mean, this is. I, I did retweet that same tweet that that you're talking about because mm. I I was like, this is a really good point. But I think it also points to the, the issue that we have and like putting Willian aside just for a second, because we know what that is. The, the Pepe scenario to me is so interesting. And just because he, he did say like before the Leeds game, when we were, I think it was like international break that they mentioned him as a super sub and he was like super sub, mm. but that's ultimately what Arteta thinks you are. You know, you come into a game when, we kind of feel like maybe we need something a little bit different, you know? Um, And I don't think that's for Arsenal. You don't spend 72 million for a a super sub, you know, Um, we're not man city. (laughs) We can't just be spending that kind of money. Like Pepe was brought in to do something specific. And I could have sworn that we were buying him to build the team around him. And that's just not happening. You know, he doesn't fit the system. The type of player that he is doesn't, you know, one thing that's really, prominent in Pepe's play that really it really stands out to me is that he really lacks the the basics he struggles mm-hmm. with the basics and if we watch our Teta system evolve from the last couple of games with Smith Rowe and Saka being so integral in, in that system is that it's all about the basics one two touch very simple you know mm-hmm. it's about doing the basics over and over and over again perfectly. And when you have somebody like Pepe who struggles with the basics, but is a moments player, you can't really fit him into the system unless he's a super sub, you know, and he just doesn't have enough of an impact off of the bench to make a good case for that either. You know, so it's, I'm, I'm at the point with, with Pepe where what is our contingency plan for this? Where, you know, what can we do to try to, um, ease, you know, the blow, 
you know, because it's coming. You know, I, I don't see him fitting moving forward with Sokka there. Sokka is the right winger. He is. Like, why would we take him out to to integrate Pepe when he doesn't fit the system? You know, we already have a bombing out there on the left, and we can only have one of those types of players out there at once. You know, so what can we do to get as much money back as possible? Because we still owe money on him. Mm. You know, so it's not like whatever we get for him is going to be like additional. It's going to be to pay Lil back, you know? So for me, I'm like, what could, what could we do? Could we loan him to somebody for a little bit? So, you know, in a, to somebody who has a system that fits Pepe so that we can, um, you know, maybe sell him in a year or so, what can we do? Because we didn't spend 72 million for him to be a super sub, Yeah, you know, and then, with Willian, you know, it's just a matter of bad deal. Bad deal. Learn your lesson. Arteta, Adu, learn your lesson. I don't know whose mess this was. I don't know who, you know, said that this is a good deal. It wasn't. And it's not working out. We can't I, move I think on. I know who it was. And it rhymes with Mia Korbabjian. <laughs> I mean, what has Kia really done for us? Like, I thought about that today. I saw a, a clip of Joelson Fernandez, that little 17-year-old that he is, that's his, he he has him in his roster. And I'm mm. like, why aren't you bringing us these types of players? Why are we getting David Luiz and, and Willian? And that's like a whole nother conversation about like attaching yourself with agents that ultimately like their clients do not help our cause. But with Willian, I think we're just at a point now where we're, you know, I think Pepe is the immediate, you know, because we could get something from that. But with Willian, it's how do we use him without relying on him? Because we can't. Arteta well, relied on him heavily at the beginning of the season and he just could not pull his weight. And I have a hard time believing it's it's ability wise. I just he doesn't seem interested, you know, and I don't know what he's thinking, but the Willian that was playing for that contract for Chelsea is not the Willian that we got. No, and you no, know, and it's disappointing. Yeah, and I think, look, we have an owner who we know is not super plugged into what's happening. But when you want to get funds released to go get players and things like that, you got to go to the owner and make a case for it. And The Athletic wrote an article about him and sort of talking about how they have these these calls where they talk about what the, the squad needs and expenditures they want to make. And that sometimes when the presentation isn't sharp enough, he gets really upset. Well, you can explain away the Pepe thing, at least by saying, look, we're going to take a loss on Pepe. We found a buyer. We're going to sell him. Raul, you know, drove up the price of that deal. The less said about that, the better. But maybe maybe Stan is willing to understand that. I think you have a really hard time when you're going to Stan Kroenke asking for money and saying, oh, by the way, we need to cancel Willian's contract and pay him off. And you just went and got him in the summer and gave him an 11 million signing bonus and 120 grand a week. Like it, It's the point that if you keep squandering money, it's not just the squad gets worse and the player profiles get worse. At what level do you lose the trust of the owner in, in his willingness to kind of sign off on the moves you, you want to make that, that you need to make. And I, I am concerned because we Kroenke know, has, you know, go for it. I sorry. was just going to say, Kroenke has to also remember that he hires the people that are making these decisions. That so is the some key of this point. is on yep. him. Yep. I mean, you I, know, that... he hired Raul because he was from Nike and from Barcelona. So hearing those two names for an American owner is like this, this can't go wrong. But everybody knew that Raul had some some flaws and some a flawed history, you know, with spending too much money and not being able to sell players. So he has to take some responsibility for this as well. You know, so you can't just look at it and be like, why aren't you doing the right job when you you hired them? You know, yeah. 
Yeah, and I mean, this is the problem with also not paying enough attention, right? Like, Stan Kroenke wouldn't know if Willian was a good buy you know, any more than he would know what a gallon of milk costs at the Walmart that his wife owns, right? Like, he he wouldn't know. So he, he's got to rely on the people informing him, and he hired those people. So it, it all comes back to that. I mean, I don't think FSG, like, I don't think John Henry knows any more about football necessarily than Stan Kroenke knows about football. The only real difference is just the people he's hired to to make those decisions. Well, look, it is a busy day of rumors and news and information, and so uh, I've taken up more than enough of your time, and that's in addition to the uh, totally superfluous initial section um, that we had to this podcast. So I I just enjoyed the chat so much, and I hope that you will come back on and join us maybe later in the season or even after the season to see how right or wrong we were about some of the things we discussed today. Yeah, 100%. I'd love to come back on, and thank you so much for allowing me to to be on your show. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, Jess, I, it's it's great, and I hope you will watch her podcast, because that's what I'm told the kids do on YouTube. You watch things. You don't just listen to them. You put them in your ears and eyes. Uh, the podcast is known as She Knows Arsenal. There is a, a She Knows Arsenal Twitter account that you can follow, She Knows Arsenal, but if you want to follow Jessica herself, it's at It's Jessinho right? Like the Brazilian Robinho kind of thing, except it's Jessinho. So exactly. it's, it's Jessinho. Exactly. Uh, so that'll do it. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Uh, give us a five-star review specifically just, just for Jessica because I think she deserves it. Uh, we'll be back on, well, here's how this works. Tomorrow and the day after and the day after. And the day. If you are a patron, you, you have homework. You got podcasts all lined up. I hope you will maybe listen to our general Premier League podcast, which is going to become a regular feature there. Um, because we got to talk about non-Arsenal stuff, mostly laughing at Chelsea, and who didn't want to do that? So that'll do it for today. Uh, we've got the cup at an hour that I don't even want to think about. Oh, God, Jessica, for you, that kickoff's 4.15 a.m., isn't it? The, the cup. Really? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, yeah, it's Southampton <laughs> at the weekend, then Southampton on Tuesday, which makes it easy for me to remember my exit line, which is we love you, and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Southampton Hill. No.